Hey yo, how to write a novel. So uh, this episode, I talk a bunch about notes and ideas and shit. There's a guy walking down the path as soon as I started recording. Let's just wait for him to go by. Okay, this episode, it's about uh, notes and ideas and such and such. So before the episode proper starts, this would be a good place for... I've got a little outtake of... uh, You know, a couple episodes back when I was talking about uh, the phone I used to write, how it was fucking up on me and stuff. There was a little bit for that episode I recorded later that day where uh, it's like a rainy day and I was standing on my balcony and it's kind of kind of a nice little thing. But I was just talking about the minutia of my fucking tech problems with my phone. It was boring as fuck. So I'm like, okay, cut, cut, cut. But in there, I did go through uh, the file directory structure on the phone and just just did a little rundown of how many notes I have over the past, like, 20 years. That's why I was talking about, like, how nowadays I write my notes directly on a smartphone. But before I got a smartphone with a keyboard, whenever that was, 2010 or so, I used to just have a notepad in my pocket and I would just jot things down in the notepad. And then I'd come home at the end of the day and type them all into uh, my computer and I'd email them to myself once in a while. So I've still got all of the notes from like the last 20 years. I've got all the dumb notes I've ever written. And it's a lot. (laughs) And I talk about that a bit in this episode. So let me just put in this outtake first. Just because it's it's applicable. It's the exact specifics of exactly how much shit I've got on my phone. And the point isn't like, oh, look at all the writing I've got. Look at all the ideas I've had. It's, it's kind of the opposite. It's that look what happens when you continuously write and keep having ideas and keep working on stuff for 20 years. But you never finish anything. <laughs> you know, that's when you end up with what I've got, which is like so many notes, which is good in a way if I need, <laughs> you know, like oh, I sure could use an idea. I got some ideas, but it's because I never fucking finished anything. I just habitually, chronically never fucking finished anything ever. So here's that little outtake, and then we'll get into the episode proper. Here we go. I haven't written on my laptop in literally years. I just, I don't like it, you know, like, uh, with my last book, my Last of Us nonfiction book, I did switch over to the laptop after it was done, you know, to take my raw text file and to turn it into a PDF and into a EPUB and into a web page and into all the stuff that it needed to be. But I don't really like writing on my computer because it's just like... The computer's where you do everything, you know? It's the internet place, it's the video game place, it's the movie watching place, it's fucking... It's all things. I like keeping my writing separate, you know? Like, so there's no distraction. Like, when I pull out this old-ass phone in my pocket, it doesn't do much besides writing, you know? I could watch a movie on it, but I've literally got to convert the movie down to like 360p or it won't play. Like it can't even play HD stuff. It's too old. So, I mean, I very much prefer not writing on my laptop because it's just uh, clunky. You know, I can't just go for a random walk and just walk through random hills and woods and explore weird parts of a town with a book bag and a fucking laptop. It's just not... uh, not as free but this made me think of how back in the day I used to just write in notebooks you know like I've got so many notebooks in my mom's closet because I would always just have a notebook and a pen in my pocket so it's very similar to how I use the phone now except it was just the notebook and back then you know I never had the consistency and the work ethic to finish anything so I didn't really write in a linear or even coherent way, it was just notes. I literally just took notes for stories that I would someday write. But I mean, I did that for years. So I would always just like write the stuff out longhand in a notebook. And then when I got home at the end of the day, then I would type it into my computer. 
and it was a little tedious, a little tiresome, but uh, you know, hey, whatever, that worked. And then I would always just like make an X in the corner. I'd like write an X and put a circle around it. And the, that was just my little symbol to say, this has been entered into my computer. I have written this down. And that wasn't the worst, you know? I mean, I could go back to that. Not really with the novel. The novel, it's like, yeah, too much non-linear editing going on. But this other little story I've been working on about these two uh, girls on an island. I've been meaning to talk about that story. Maybe next episode I'll finally get to it. But I could probably write that one longhand relatively well because it's just, it is more of a straightforward process. I am just kind of writing it in a pretty straightforward way. I don't know. Just, you know, I was thinking of that, thinking about <laughs> the evolution of writing writing in my little notebooks. It's crazy to think about, like, fucking... Like, Ayn Rand doing all her stuff, like, just typing it out. Like, Atlas Shrugged is one of the longest books ever. And it took her a long time. She only, like, put out three major novels in her life. But yeah, to write a fucking... Wow, I mean, how big? It's like a thousand pages, I'm pretty sure. And yeah, to type that all out on an old school typewriter, you know, like you really got to have your fucking thoughts together. You know? And when you make edits, that's serious shit. You got to retype all that shit. I think she had an assistant at some point when she got a little more successful, you know, she could fucking hire somebody to help with the retypes. But yeah, I just wanted to find, here it is, find my little fucking crappy ass phone. Uh, just about all of that writing I did back in the day. Like, even though I never finished that stuff, it's interesting that, like, I still... Like, I've still got all that stuff. It could still be useful sometime. Like, I've got... In my little writing folder, I've got 34 folders. So, I mean, like, 34 stories, you could say, that are in some form or another of completion. But within there, there is one folder that's just miscellaneous. Because this was the stuff, like, from back then. You know, the stuff that is so old from, like, when I was a teenager and in my early 20s. That it's like, I'll probably never get to these. These stories are so old. But just in case, I've still got those notes, too, just all in here somewhere. I might even have some even older shit that I just, like, put in a zip file and emailed to myself. But if I just do, here we go. So my writing folder, let's just open up the details. It is, man, 684 folders with 4,680 files. So I have 4,500 different text files that are just different little ideas for stories. Like the vast majority of these are just little 1K text files with just a couple of sentences in them. But like, that's fucking crazy. Like this one, the, the only novel from back, my oldest novel, I guess, that still, I feel like I will actually finish someday. Cause I had uh, my high school story that I used to write online that is just uh i just went into it without a clear idea of the point and i've been trying to come up with an ending my whole life and it's never gonna happen but after that in the early 2000s i came up with this idea for this story about these punk kids in tokyo which is funny because now i'm finally in tokyo i can see what it's really like and uh i still feel like i'm gonna do that book like i'm gonna get there but it's going to be a big one, and it's going to be pretty serious. Like, I'm going to have to work my way up to it. But I've just been taking notes. Just been taking notes ever since... Uh, I guess I started writing it just before I moved to Vancouver the first time. So since the early-ish 2000s, 2003, 2004, I started just making notes for this story. So it's probably my most robust one. And yeah, it's fucking crazy. 45 folders with 1,498 files in it. So of those 4,500 files, 1,500 of them are all this one story. 
Like, man, when it comes time to write that fucking story, I have got my own insane Wikipedia ready to go, ready to draw from. So, I mean, that's the severe example, but I've got so many little things that it's just, yeah, I don't know. None of them have come together yet, you know? <laughs> now that I'm ending out my 30s, I finally have my shit together enough to actually focus on things and finish stories. But I'm glad I kept all this stuff, you know? I guess, I guess that's, uh, that's all. That's all I guess I had to say when I started thinking about all those notes I took and all those years I wrote things down in notebooks and they never went anywhere. But I still got the notes, you know? I typed them all up and I keep them and I just, every time I get a new computer or a new phone, I just transfer them forward. Probably about twice a year, I just zip up all this stuff because, I mean, it's like 20 megs for all of this shit and just email it to myself. Just, you know, it's just there, just to have, just to pull from. This also relates to what I was saying about how I've got all of these different notes for stories that I've been writing literally since I was a teenager. Since my late teens, I've been keeping all of my notes and I just transfer them from computer to computer. I email them to myself once in a while. And I had something crazy, like nearly 5,000 different little notes for like hundred some little stories. Which, if anything, is a testament to how important it is to pick a goal, pick a project, and work on it every day till it's done. Because I've basically got 20-some years of evidence that if you don't pick one thing to focus on and work on it every day till it's done, it will never get done. So you'll have 5,000 notes for 100-some stories and none of them are done. You know, you're never gonna get there. You're never gonna accidentally finish one. You're never gonna be done. It's never gonna happen. But what I wanted to talk about is, you know, that classic question of where do ideas come from? And uh, I think a big part of that also ties into this is people just put too much pressure on themselves. They expect too many ideas per day. You know, like if you've got your thing where you gotta sit down and write 2,000 words or even 500 words or whatever. You've got to have enough ideas to fill up those 500 words. And if you don't have them, then it's just that's when writing is a misery grind. Or even worse, you just push through with stuff that isn't that compelling and isn't that interesting and isn't really the next step that your story should have taken, but you just got to get those words out. I really think if there's anything I can bring to the table about writing, that's what I want to do is to kill the daily word count idea. I really think it's completely destructive to good writing. I don't know what the fuck that's all about. Like, it's just like treating a creative endeavor like building a brick wall or turning a big crank. Like, hey, you only turned the big crank eight times, you gotta turn it 10 times today. It's not that kind of work. <laughs> you know? If you wanna write something good, you shouldn't be putting that kind of pressure on yourself because you're just gonna spit out words that are no good. So that's one reason I think people find it hard to have ideas is because they're expecting too much of themselves. But man, one great way to have ideas is just to have already had them, you know, to have these notes and to have these uh, ideas already jotted down to dig through. So obviously I'm an extreme example that I got 4,600 notes for all these different stories. Most people don't have that. You need 20 years of failing to finish anything to have that. It's a nice little thing for me to have, but if you don't have it, you don't have it. Would have been nicer for me to actually finish some shit in all that time, but hey, at least I got all these notes. That's nice. And then there's the extreme example of my book about these punk kids in Tokyo that I've been working on since my early 20s, but again, working on quote-unquote, I've just been taking notes. And I have like 1,500 notes for that story. It's insane. It's my Moby Dick in every possible way that you could take that, you know? <laughs> it's just, I am going to write it someday. And most of those notes probably won't be handy at all. But it's, I don't know, it's going to be interesting because I've got so many notes for that. Like it's, it's such a breadcrumb trail. It'll be interesting to document that. Like what is that like to write a book when you have 
if anything, way too many notes, you know, that's like ludicrous. But yeah, that's absurd. 1,500 notes for a story. I don't have anything near that many for any other story. That's just too much. And yeah, I've got 4,600 notes, but that's spread across all these different stories. For most stories, I don't have that many notes. You know, it's not that robust. It's just kind of some general thoughts that I had. So if I get stuck somewhere, I can go dig through my notes and maybe it'll spark some kind of idea. But I've realized how important these notes are. So I mentioned uh, last summer, I guess, that I, I added that to my daily routine. I used to just, at first, you know, it was, I was just a mess. I could never finish anything. Then with that nonfiction book I wrote, I wasn't quite working on it every day. I was missing quite a few days, but I was building up, you know, almost every day I worked on stuff. And then toward the end of that book, I had some pretty big gaps some uh, times when I was just really doubting the book and doubting myself and the pressure seemed too much. And that's kind of when I realized like, no, I've got to buckle down. This isn't going to happen again. I'm not going to let this get away from me again. And that's when I realized I have to work every day, even if it's a tiny bit or this isn't going to happen. This isn't going to get finished. I'm not going to get to the finish line unless I work every single day. So I established that habit. Then working on this novel, it was just the tiniest, like literally all I did when I started this novel, when I first started this podcast, I was walking around Vancouver and I would just get the tiniest little bit done. Some days, literally just like a sentence or two. That was the most I could do. And it seemed ridiculous. It seemed like such a tiny amount of work until I thought back and I'm like, but compared to my nonfiction book where I wasn't quite hitting every day, this is much better. Compared to before that, when I would just write whenever the fucking whim hit me and nothing ever got done, this is much better. Even if I'm only getting five minutes of shit done every day, it's every day. It's every day, bro. <laughs> fucking, I'm, uh, I'm building up my strength. So then I eventually got to the point where I would work on my novel every day. And then on the side, I also started working on a little novelette that just felt much smaller, like an easy little side dish to work on each day, because I just, as I conceptualized it in my mind, I could just see it was going to be a much smaller story. Literally smaller and conceptually smaller. So I started doing that. And then I also added in that each day I was going to come up with one idea. I was just going to let my mind wander for 10-15 minutes, just stare out the window of a coffee shop, whatever, walk around listening to music, till I came up with one idea for a story. It could be anything, it doesn't matter how little. Like yesterday my idea was for the, uh, the story I'm working on about these like teen girls that are like a girl gang and they all wear different colored jeans and they get kicked out of all the local malls because they cause so much shit and their leader, Red Jeans, keeps stealing stuff. So since I was walking around Japan and I was in this weird mall, I was like, oh yeah, they could go to like the Chinatown mall, you know, or like uh, the Crystal Mall, it's called in Vancouver, where it's just like the, none of the stores have English writing. Everyone there is Asian, you know, it's like definitely the not for white people mall, <laughs> you know. Obviously you can go there and it's fine, but it's like, it's a very much a neighborhood mall and not your neighborhood, someone else's neighborhood. So I was like, they could go to that mall. They could find a mall like that and go there. Because they haven't been, uh, they're not known by security. They haven't been kicked out of this mall before. But on the very first day, as soon as they go, Red Jean steals something again. Like, she just can't stop. And that's it. That was yesterday's idea. But that's fine. Just some idea each day. And the reason I added that in is because I've realized how important it is to have this bank of ideas. That's what stops the horror of writer's block from happening. And specifically, so let me tell you about what happened with this little side story I'm working on, the little novella. So every day I work on my novel, I get something done on that, then I go for a little walk to the next coffee shop or whatever, and it's like, all right, now it's time to work on the little novella. And, uh, you know, it's even scanter. It can be an even smaller amount of work for that book. And it's just, uh, I'm just putting a lot less pressure on that book. It's just like, I'm writing a lot more just in a sort of linear, straightforward way. And I just don't have that many notes for this story. Like, yeah, if I check my little thing here, 
I guess I don't know exactly because a lot of my notes I've already integrated into the story, so I deleted the file, but like about a hundred, probably about a hundred little note files for this story. So that's not really very many notes, like a hundred miscellaneous notes for a story, I would say probably for like a novel. For me, that's seems like not as many as I would want to have or I would normally have. But for this story it seemed fine because it's like, in my mind I think of it more as like a novella. It might end up a little longer, but that's like the thought I had. So let me just, uh, I'll tell you about it real quick. So I remember when I had the idea, I was at this Tim Hortons in North Vancouver. I was just sitting there and I was thinking about, just the idea kind of came to me of like, the idea of people telling each other a story collaboratively to kind of pass time. I guess I was thinking about it with like, with like babysitting kids. I remember I was babysitting my friend Joel's kid and I was telling him some story that I was just making up as, uh, you know, trying to get him to go to sleep. And I just kind of got worn out. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what else to say here. Fucking, this story already doesn't make sense. Like. What, what, what am I supposed to say, kid? <laughs> but I guess I was thinking about that, because I, I thought of this idea of what if you had a story that was like two people trapped. I was thinking maybe they're stuck in a jail, in a prison or something, but that seemed too depressing. So I was like, I don't know, what if they're, for some reason they're just trapped in some kind of a Victorian giant estate, but they're just kind of by themselves. And that's when I was thinking just that Victorian idea. Maybe like that classic like girls in like fancy dresses. Like what if it was two little girls that for some reason are alone on this big estate in their fancy dresses and they're telling each other a story just to like pass the time or to uh, not be scared about the fact that they're all alone and they don't know where everybody is. And I have no idea why. You know, again, I'm just staring out the window of a coffee shop. There's no sense behind any of this. It's just like a little image, a little visual. So then I started thinking about it a little harder and I'm like, okay, I like the idea of the two girls telling each other stories. And I was thinking it could be like the uh, Victorian equivalent of like a high school story of like a 10 things I hate about you or something. And they're telling each other the story of this like romance that's happening. And maybe if, uh, you know, something, if, you know, they kind of pass it back and forth. And if one of them takes the story in a weird direction that the other one doesn't like, you know, they could veto it and be like, no, 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 step back, let's, uh, let's not go that way. But the uh, being on this big Victorian estate and everyone's gone, just too abstract, too weird. It was just, you know, a weird visual image that I had. It doesn't really make any sense. So I decided instead, let's go with the classic uh, deserted island. Because I love that shit. Lord of the Flies is like the only book I ever read in school that I liked. And it's a pretty classic trope, you know, fucking Lord of the Flies, obviously, fucking uh, Hatchet, <laughs> you know, even, uh, I don't know, like the Hunger Games and shit is still along those lines. I like that idea. So I decided why not it be two girls trapped together on a deserted island, you know, plane crash situation. And I decided that I would have it's set kind of in the near future so they could have like in their crash readiness materials, whatever, in their crash kit there would be this little machine that makes, makes boring food. It just makes like boring little cliff bars with no taste. But it's good enough that you won't die. So the story wouldn't be about the survivalism aspect, it would just be about these two girls together trapped on the island. So a lot of it would just be about mental survival, psychological survival, and that's where the story would come in, of just like... They tell each other stories, or specifically the older one tells stories to the younger one, to just help them navigate this weird situation. And I decided to call it The Knower, just because I was listening to this band, Youth Lagoon, and uh, their song The Knower, just an amazing song, one of my favorite songs. And I was like, that's a good title, it kind of... Uh, ties into like Lois Lowry, the, the giver. This could be the knower. <laughs> and the knower because the older girl is the one who keeps track of the story of like, what did we talk about yesterday? Where are we going today? She'll be the knower, the one who 
knows where the story is. And then as things keep unraveling and getting worse and worse, the little kid could get angry and just be like, you're the fucking knower. You're supposed to be the knower. You don't know shit. You don't know anything. What the fuck are we supposed to do? Though with radically less swearing than that. <laughs> so that was the start. And, uh, and I just started jotting down whatever little notes I could think of. And like I said, I only came up with about a hundred, but, uh, that seemed like enough, you know, it just like, it took me, I don't know, probably about a year to come up with those, year and a half. Again, it was just one of these things on the back burner, just whenever I would have an idea about it, jot it down. I eventually got to a point too where my characters usually don't start with names, so I'm just like girl one, girl two, or whatever. <laughs> eventually, I know I got a pretty good amount of notes when it starts driving me nuts that they don't have names. And I'm like, all right, I gotta come up with names for these people. And I don't remember what gave me this idea, just, I don't know, because my mind is always in old video games. I was thinking about the old King's Quest games. I'm like, let me just look at the King's Quest wiki and go through character names. And King Graham's daughter from King's Quest IV is named Rosella. And then in the new King's Quest that they just put out a couple of years ago, you play, I think, King Graham's granddaughter, and her name is Gwendolyn. So I'm like, good enough. Rose and Gwen, those are the names. And, you know, I know that it's a King's Quest reference nobody else needs to know or might never notice or whatever, but who cares? It's just, I just needed some kind of framework for names. I'm not great at just, like, making up names out of nowhere, but as soon as I have some kind of framework for the name, then it's easy. It's, like, fun to find. That also happened recently, this other story I got about uh, an evil magical skull that <laughs> can give you evil powers. That was another case where it's only two main characters, two girls again, who just didn't have any name. So I decided to go through Elliot Smith's song titles until I saw Amity, and I'm like, oh yeah, that's a good name, let's go with Amity. And Amity's kind of a French-sounding name, so I just started looking through French girl names until I saw Lisette. And I was like, yeah, that's a nice name. I like that name. So the Amity and Lisette, and that adds this weird little uh, subtext that maybe these are French girls. Maybe this story takes place in the French-speaking world. Who knows? I'm just not going to bring it up. It's just a thing that maybe you notice and maybe you care, maybe you don't. Like I was saying before, a few episodes back now, but about how uh, I don't like excessive description. And to me, that is one of the great benefits to a novel, is you can put in a lot of this kind of potential subtext, but you don't have to make it clear one way or the other. It's kind of better if you just leave some of these things up in the air. It's more cool. So the big atomic bomb drop, as far as this story goes, and another reason why I really didn't feel like I needed an excessive amount of notes for this thing, is because... Uh, if it's gonna be all about psychological survival and keeping your head together while you're trapped on an island and you're a little kid and you're just not very, uh, your efficacy levels are low, but why not take that up another notch and have the younger girl legitimately lose her mind, really go crazy. And the guilt of the older kid of just not knowing what to do about this and not having any ability to help this situation and that definitely comes from my life, because my brother has got pretty severe schizophrenia. It started when he was in his teens, like 16 or so. And I mean, now he's late 30s, I guess. He's not as bad as he used to be, but he is in his own world. Like he really, just like, uh, I remember one time I was like arguing with him about something. This was just a few years ago. And while he wasn't looking, I just walked to the other side of the room and he, dead serious, said, oh, you're a teleporter? You know, like, to him, maybe people teleport. Like, the rules of the world, he just has no sense of what they are, you know? It could be anything. He could believe that anything is real or that anything is true. He's just not in the same place as us. So I thought, why not have that happen? I mean, what better place to fucking process some of this shit that happened in my life, then in this story, you know, I could just have this happen. I can have the younger girl go crazy, just go nuts, just be in her own crazy world. And have the older kid just be completely at a loss as to what to do, because that's exactly what happened to me. And you could really get into, like, the shame of it. Like, you know, that, uh, 
that famous statistic that people with mental health problems, you know, people are like worried about them and afraid of them, but they're more likely to be the victims than to victimize other people. So even just in my little way, in my little life, like I've got examples of that. Like I thought of all the times that I got in a fight with my brother because, I mean, he really, whew, I mean, I don't know if there's a spectrum of schizophrenia from nice, relatively nice schizophrenic to asshole. He's all the way on asshole. He's horrible. He's a very fucking hard to deal with asshole person, you know? But again, when I lose my temper with him or we get in a like literal fucking fight, I know that shouldn't, he's, he's crazy, you know, like you can't do that. You just can't do that. And it just makes me think of that statistic and you could get into that, you know, I could have the older kid in this story, like just lose patience, lose her temper with this crazy kid and just freak out on her, you know? Basically, it's like, I don't need notes for this, you know, like this is, uh, you know, that, uh, that big vein of chocolate caramel that's in the middle of like a fucking Cornetto ice cream. I've got that big vein of fudge, except in this case, it's the vein of horror and pain and awful, terrible feelings. <laughs> you know? That is extremely easy to access. That is limitless. That's never going to run out. The day I fucking die, it's going to feel like shit. So, uh, should be no problem <laughs> to, to draw from those feelings and those experiences to fill up this story. But I'm not there yet at this story, you know? So I took my hundred notes and I split them into three categories. There's before the younger girl goes crazy, after the younger girl goes crazy, and in the middle, just notes about the... <clears throat> About the man, about it's the one word I can't fucking say right. About, about, ah, so Canadian. Notes about the stories that they tell each other, you know, like it was also an opportunity to kind of go through some of my miscellaneous notes, things that I just know for sure are never going to come together, that are just too vague and abstract. I'm like, well, maybe I can use these as the story that these girls tell each other. And instead of it being one story, like was my initial idea, particularly this like weird high school romance story, now it's just stories. It's just whatever stories they want to tell each other. So there we go. There's all the setup. I got everything roughed out enough that when I started feeling like I would be able to add to my daily tasks where I'm like, all right, I feel like I'm on a good path with my novel. Let's add a second story that I work on each day. I don't feel like I can work more on the novel. I think this is it. This is probably my lifetime limit. I don't think I'll ever be able to get more done on a story per day than I do now. Because as I've talked about ad nauseum, I gotta go slow for me to feel like it's any good. But I could work on multiple things in a day. So this was my test to see if I could work on a second thing. I'm like, that's the story. I'm going to work on The Knower because it's a smaller story. The scope seems less intense. And I don't have a lot of notes, but I got enough. Now, all of that is to say that now that I've been working on that story concurrently with my novel for like about a year, I think, I don't keep very good records of when I start these things. But it's been a while. I got a pretty good uh, bunch of stuff done for that story. This story tends to be short chapters. Like I've got more, a more distinct structure for my main novel. Like for the main novel, each day is one chapter. You know, like time could pass between chapters, but there's no chapter breaks within a day. So the chapters tend to be kind of long. Where with this story, I just broke the chapter whenever I felt like it. And I got 38 chapters done, 38 little chapters. But I got to the point where the kids were on their way to school on a flight. The flight crashes. The older girl wakes up. She's our protagonist, so we always follow her. She finds the younger girl. 
they find like a shallow cave they can sleep in. They find the food making machine from the crash site. I've basically established the situation, the basic situation. Like they've realized that there's no one else, it's just them. That there don't seem to be any animals on the island. They're not in any direct danger. They've got this food machine, so they're not gonna starve anytime soon. And now what, you know, like 39 chapters in. I just did a thing too where it was like, I had a really cold night and they realized that they're just, just not equipped for that. So they think maybe, maybe there would be some like blankets or something in the crash site of the plane. And the younger girl's not scared. She's like, I don't care. So it's full of corpses. Who gives a shit? I don't fucking care. Later as she goes more and more crazy, like she's gonna treat all the corpses and bodies like her friends, hang out with them and have tea parties. But the older girl does not want to go anywhere near the plane. It's super terrifying to her, the idea of all the dead bodies of all the people that she knows. She's like, fuck that, son, we're not going anywhere near there. So they find these huge leaves, which I didn't have the idea here in Japan, but it was nice to see some plants, some trees with these enormous leaves that I'm like, yeah, that's not quite as big as in my story, but it's not a, a crazy idea that there's a leaf big enough that you could just wrap yourself in it like it was a blanket. Might be exaggerated a bit for the story, but I mean, those basically exist now. So they've got themselves all wrapped up in their leaves, like all the basic stuff is kind of taken care of. And then yeah, 39 chapters in, they wake up and I'm like, fuck, now what? <laughs> you know, like it had all, it had all gone pretty smoothly up until this point, because I had all kinds of stuff to establish about the island. But I just suddenly got to the point where it's like a little marble that was just like rolling down a, you know, in like an empty pool or something. And then it just came to a stop because all of the initial setup is done, but I'm not nearly ready for the next phase of the story to happen, where the younger girl starts to go noticeably crazy. Now I've just got the middle. Now there's just them on the island. And now what? And it was the weirdest feeling where for the first time with this story, I just felt I had nothing. I had no idea. Like usually when I'd be writing a chapter, I'd have at least a few little notes at the bottom of the page, just some vague thoughts about where the next chapter might go. So when I finished that chapter, I would just take those little rough notes and copy them over into the next file to be the beginning of the next chapter. For the first time, I did not have that. So this was, this is the situation, right? This is the feeling. This is the, where do you get ideas from? This is the, what do I do about my writer's block? This is the situation and the feeling that I usually just don't feel. I don't usually bump into this because I take tons of notes for stories before I start. And I only write a little tiny bit every day. I just go at a very slow pace. And, I mean, in this case, I hadn't checked my notes yet. This is going to be the point, is that the notes saved my ass. But even just this, it was weird for this feeling to happen. Because with my main novel, there's a lot of sifting through my old notes and trying to piece together what should happen next. And, like, it's a much bigger story. The whole scope of it, the whole... The themes, the whatever, it's just, like, more. It's more complicated. So I'd dig through the old notes and be like, all right, maybe this, maybe that, maybe this is not going to work ever. Why did I think this was a good idea? Oh, I forgot about this. Like a lot of uh, between chapter planning can go on. Which going back to doing tiny amounts of work, that counts. That's enough work for a day. It's like to just look through my notes and pick out a few that might be useful and get them ready for the next day. That's enough. If that keeps the ball rolling, that's something I did that day to progress the story, and that's enough. But that had never happened with this novella because I just hadn't even needed the notes. Very little checking of the notes at all. It was just kind of more abstract conceptualizing of like, all right, what would it be like to be trapped on an island? And I just think about like, oh, I read somewhere about like if you find a stream you should follow it upstream because that way you know you're going uphill 
and you can get to a high enough vantage point to look around and figure out the lay of the land. Anytime you're lost in the woods, that's what they say to do. And by following a stream, if you follow it upstream, you know, you get to a place where you have a better vantage point. If you follow it downstream, you gotta get somewhere. Eventually, it'll lead you to something. So you avoid that uh, danger of walking around in the woods and inadvertently walking in a big circle, you know? Where, like, you think you're walking straight, but you actually walk in a fucking 20-kilometer circle and you end up back where you started. Find some water, follow the water. And I was like, you know, that's... I don't remember where I heard that, but I'm like, good advice. So this kid, this kid will know that. This kid will do that. And it had just been like that the whole way. Just each step of the way, it's like, well, let's just think about this particular situation and come up with something. I didn't use the notes at all. So it was a very strange feeling for all that momentum to just stop, to just be at this point where everything is set up. All the cards are in play, you know? There's nothing else to introduce. There's no other direct problem to face. Now what? (laughs) Man, I found this huge cemetery. Just walking around this neighborhood I'm in, which I still forget the name of. Random ass Airbnb I met in the outskirts of Tokyo. Just started walking. Trying to get to these hills in the north but I couldn't find a way up into them. It's all people's property and stuff, and I don't want to just dig through people's backyards. Like, there's probably a real path up into that mountain somewhere. But, like, that took me a while to find when I was in Fukuoka and stuff. Like, you can't just... Everything's mountains around here. You know, it's an island full of mountains, so you can't just walk in a straight line. you got to find the prescribed path, which can be hard sometimes. But I walked far enough north that when I looked back to the south... There's another huge mountain that I had walked around. So I'm just walking up that now, and it's pretty goddamn beautiful. It's just like this giant cemetery set on a hill. It's pretty awesome. But okay, so I went to my notes, and like none of these are like amazing notes. This is all very basic stuff. But man, it just was such a good feeling for the first time that I needed notes to come to my rescue that they absolutely did. And it really confirmed how important this process is to have notes before you start. Like I, I've talked before about, you know, the idea of writing by the seat of your pants and writing with a plan. Planners versus pantsers, they say. And I think uh, a pantser, it's a bad idea to just go into a story totally blind with no sense of what it fucking is supposed to be or how it's supposed to end. I think you're going to get out of that what you would expect to get out of that, which is a bunch of fucking nonsense that'll have a terrible ending. It's the Stephen King method, and I mean, I think it shows, you know. I always bring him up, but it's true. I love certain Stephen King stories. I love Shawshank. I love Misery. But man, I've read a lot of Stephen King books that just fucking shit the bed at the end. And it's like, are you fucking high? Well, he was high in the 80s, but like, what is this? The Stand is the best example. I love The Stand. A great book. Terrible ending. And it's just, it's such a downer. You feel it. You know when the person didn't have any ending in mind, and you know that when they didn't come up with... It's like, it's a crazy thing to expect, that at the zero hour, right at the end, when the pressure is highest, when it's the most important that you have the perfect dismount, it's just going to happen? It's not going to happen. Don't do that. But on the other hand, excessive planning is also not necessarily that useful. Like that punk story I was saying that I have 1,500 notes for, back in like 2003, I think, I was like, all right, let's, uh, let's take a try at this. Let's try to write this thing. And I got a, I bought like one of those hardcover sketchbooks and a bunch of post-it notes. And I wrote down all of my notes on the post-its and I tried to arrange them in the sketchbook in the order things should go. And that was too much planning. It just didn't work. Like, I sh- what I learn now, what I do now, and what I will do when I get back to that story again, is I just write, quote-unquote, by the seat of my pants. You know, like, I write just as I go, but I'm referring to the notes. Like, I always have the notes as a guideline. If I come up with other stuff and I go a different direction, that's fine, but the notes are there if I need them. And to me, that works the best. I think that's the best of both worlds. Like, don't try to overplan because you'll overburden yourself and go crazy. And probably it won't be as good of a story because I do think you come up with a lot of stuff 
in the moment that you can only come up with in the moment that you can't come up with in the conceptualizing phase but don't just wing it you know have some sense of where you're going do a little like it's a nice little balance between the two so these notes very simple stuff uh, I'll just tell you I came up with I found five notes uh, so this one crashstory.txt is just that uh, we experienced the older girl's story of the crash like we're she's the main character so we see the crash from her perspective but she could ask the younger girl like what was the crash like for you and the problem is I don't know <laughs> I have no idea what her story of the crash is going to be but that's just something that they can talk about something they can bring up uh, then related to the crash the younger girl could ask why they haven't found them yet you know it's been a few days like what's going on why is it so hard to find them? And I think how I'm going to explain that is, since this story is set in kind of the near future, they fly this flight path basically every week to and from school. So it would be a really normal flight path that they take all the time. But because it's the near future, my thought was that it's like literally across the earth. It's like supersonic flight, super fast. They're going very far, so that would give more area to check but it would still be a very normal path that they would fly and it probably wouldn't be that hard to find them but then I read somewhere about theoretical future flights where they might fly way up like straight up instead of just flying horizontally so you could break out of the atmosphere and then you could go really fast and then come back down into the atmosphere so I'm going to have it so that's how flight works in this world is that they go way up and then way down so if the crash happens when they're way up, there's just way more places that they could crash. You know, it's like a whole fucking segment of the Earth that they could be anywhere. So I thought that's a pretty good explanation, and that's how the older kid could explain it to the younger kid of, like, why they haven't been found yet. That was offcourse.txt, because they're off course. Then pieces.txt. Okay, so here's where the older girl gets a little philosophical about... Uh, I don't know about this one, <laughs> but maybe. Just about how crazy it is that they survived, that, you know, they ejected from the plane and just these little uh, bits of canvas and cord, you know, they had, like, their emergency backpacks, they had their little uh, parachutes and they parachuted down, and just how crazy it is that that's what saved them, just, like, that these little little bits of material, little bits of cloth, you know, catch the wind and just, that's it. That's enough for them to live and just... She gets kind of fucking existential about the nature of reality, just pieces moving together. These pieces move like this, and we're alive. Those pieces move like that, and all those kids are dead. I probably won't use this, because this seems like more like something she could bring up at night, maybe, in the dark, when it's like, like a scary thing to bring up that might make the little kid cry. I'm just like, why are you talking about this? Like, this is fucked up. Uh, starve.txt where the younger girl brings up that hey if we didn't have that machine making those bars like we'd be dead right <laughs> and the older kid would be like hey who knows you know they're trying to put a good spin on it like if we had uh, to figure something else out like there are berries and shit around here maybe we'd learn how to fish you know like maybe if we got pushed in that way we would find a way to survive like you shouldn't just presume that we're gonna starve like there's a good chance that we would come up with something and fucking come up with some cool solution. Oh, I guess there were six things, because, yeah, the other idea is they're going to say all this stuff on the way to the shore, because they still haven't been to the edge of the island. They haven't been to the beach. They haven't been to the water. So they're going to, that's their plan for today, is they're going to try to make their way all the way to the edge of the island, and that's when they'll talk about all this stuff. And then the last one, hair.txt. Just a little note I made of they could spend time in the morning sorting out each other's hair. Gwen could suggest cutting their hair, but Rose doesn't want to. So what I thought with that is, it was weird the little uh, rabbit hole I went down with this. Is I was like, you know, that could be a good way to start the chapter. Like it could start with the older kid waking up and the younger girl is messing with her hair or something. She's like, hey, what are you doing? And it's, she could say like, hey, you have a twig in your hair. Like I'm just grooming your hair a little. And then I was thinking maybe they could braid their hair. 
And I looked up YouTube videos about braiding because I don't know anything about braiding and like you can do the pretty basic braid in the back of your hair or you can do like the cool Dutch braids that are more complicated but they look really awesome and I was thinking like well maybe the older kid doesn't know how to braid hair but the younger kid does. The younger kid had sisters or their mom some something you know I haven't really figured out their family dynamics and stuff yet. Or I guess I did but I forgot. I'm pretty sure the younger kid has a sister or mentions that that's one of those things on a second draft I'll be like I see if I contradict myself about stuff like that because I I don't know it's on the first draft it's not worth trying to keep track of like who cares I could make a little text file of like oh so-and-so has a sister and blah 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 and like try to keep track of these details but I tried doing that once with that punk story again and it got out of hand so fast like once you start trying to keep track of these little details there's too many details so I prefer to just let it go on the first draft, and on the second draft is when I'll catch all that stuff. But yeah, talking about braiding their hair, it was just weird because I just don't know anything about it. And uh, just evidenced by the fact that I had to look up a YouTube video, like, I just, uh, I don't think you should just write what you know, but I think you shouldn't deliberately write what you don't know, you know? And I just think it would probably come off inauthentic. It'd be like when, <laughs> it's like funny sometimes to me when like women write male characters and like just how an erection works you know stuff like that <laughs> it's like wow you're really off on this like this doesn't work this doesn't make any sense that's what it would be like for me to write about girls braiding each other's hair you know I just would get something wrong I just I don't know what I would get wrong but that's the point it would just I'm sure it would come off like what the fuck is this guy talking about he's never braided anyone's hair in his goddamn life so I was kind of rolling that around. I'm like, I'm not sure if I'm going to do this hair braiding thing. And it turned out, since basic braids really are easy to do, I'm like, what are the chances that this older kid wouldn't know how to braid her own hair? Or like, what, what am I even... Maybe I should just leave all this, because like I was saying uh, before, that I, I really trend away from describing stuff. I just don't think it's important. So, like, I didn't describe these kids at all, except that they're elementary kids one of them is like 12 one of them is uh i don't even remember six seven seven probably young elementary and old elementary maybe not even 12 maybe like 11 i don't know who cares whatever but i like described that they have school uniforms but i didn't really get into the specifics about them just that they're like i guess dresses i did mention that They've got shoes, but I didn't get into the specifics about the shoes, and I didn't get into the specifics about the kids at all. And this is something that, this occurred to me in like 2008 when I moved to New York. There'd be ads for novels in the subway, which I thought was really interesting. You just don't see ads for books that much out in the world, and I guess it's just that's the place, right? That's the place to advertise them, because if you've got a commute and you're on the subway every day, you're probably bored out of your fucking mind. So what I do is I pull out my phone and I write a book. <laughs> but if you're not that kind of person, maybe you want a book to read. But also, because New York is the melting pot, you know, these ads for books were not your average Fabio fucking Harlequin romance. It'd be like uh, a Mexican lady in a romance story or uh, a black lady who's a detective, you know, doing some romance detective work. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's cool. Just the different demographics than, you know, what we have in white bread Canada. Like, that's actually really neat. And that made me think that I just kind of default to whenever I read a story, I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay, so-and-so is just like me. They just look like me. And I bet everybody does that. And I started thinking about, like, if I'm writing a story, one of these stories I'm working on, if other people are reading it, like, take this story, take this story about the two little girls on the island. I default to just, like, two little white kids. But other people probably wouldn't. They would probably default to whoever they are. You know, if you grew up as a little Spanish kid, you're going to imagine two Spanish kids, right? Like, if you're two Asian kids, two whoever. And since it's not important, it's not germane to the story at all, it's doubly important, I think, not to bring it up. Because if you bring it up, you're just, you know, if I was like, oh, they're two little white kids, all that does is pointlessly confirm to the people who imagine them as two little white kids that they're two little white kids, but it messes it up if you're not imagining that. If you're imagining something else and I say, no, 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 it's two little white kids, like, why do that? Again, if it's not part of the story, if it's not important. 
And I already lean that way anyway. I lean toward not explaining, but I think that's doubly important. Like, I think it's going to be a weird thing if I ever get a book published to try to explain that to somebody who is part of, like, making a cover design for a book of, like, is there some way we can get around this? You know, how can we signify what this book is but keep the ethnicity of the characters out of it. You know, like that's going to be some abstract thinking. It's going to be tough. And uh, maybe when I, uh, you know, when I'm a new, a newly published author with no particular social cred or power of any kind, they might just tell me to go fuck myself. <laughs> but, but if it was my druthers, if it was up to me exactly how everything was going to be, and someday when it is all up to me, that's going to be one of my, my things is like, I'm not gonna put any kind of direct reference toward what ethnicity these characters are. Even it's a weird example, but I I came up with this idea for basically like the breakfast club in an inner city school, breakfast club 2000. And even that I decided what I was going to do with that story, even though it'll probably be pretty obvious that that's what I'm aiming for. I'm still going to keep it generic by... I mean, that's the weird thing with names. I mean, Gwendolyn and Rosella, I guess it's pretty obvious. Those are some fucking European-ass girls. But for my Breakfast Club story, I'm going to just use basically nicknames for everybody. Everyone's going to have just a weird name that nobody has, so that way it could just still stay up in the air. But why I bring this all up, why I had this thought again, is reading about braids... When I searched YouTube, I just came up with, you know, some white chick showing me how to do a Dutch braid. But then, uh, again, just proving how little I know about hair maintenance and braids, I fucking just buzzed all my hair off the other day just so I wouldn't have to go to the barber and, uh... Ah, shit, I forgot to charge the fucking batteries on my, uh, recorder, and it just died on me, motherfucker. That's actually never happened to me before, but I've been using these same rechargeable batteries for a long time, so maybe that's why. I'm almost done, though, so yeah, let's just fucking wrap this up. Just uh, more evidence of how little I know about braiding hair or hair maintenance of any kind is, uh, is like, how long can you keep your hair in braids? Like, how long have these girls been on the island? Like, again, am I just going to show, am I going to tip my hat right away that I don't know what I'm talking about, that they would only be mentioning their hair braids at this point? I just typed... How long can you keep your hair in braids? And what came up is a whole different world of braids that I just wasn't even thinking of. Not the big, fat, white girl hair braids and not the Dutch braids, but like cornrow braids. Like when you look up braids on the internet, that's actually what comes up the most is if you have curly hair and like kinky hair, The very term braiding your hair is a whole different ball of wax from what I was thinking. It's a completely different thing. And that ties into like what I was saying before is if if I was a black kid reading this story, doesn't it sound weird to say black kid? It's like, I feel like that's going to be one of those things. Hey, if you're listening to this in 50 years and I sound horribly politically incorrect saying black kid, that was okay in 2019. We didn't have a different term yet. So hey, I'm not trying to be offensive, okay? <laughs> like like uh, how you're not supposed to say oriental. But I'm not sure who came up with that because there's a Chinese wrestling company that's brand new, started like three years ago, called OWE, Oriental Wrestling Entertainment. And all the time here in Japan, I see like Pearl of the Orient and Orient whatever. Nobody in Asia seems to think that oriental is a bad word, but in North America, it's like, oh, you said it. You know, we're always just coming up with the new word that it's not okay to say. But I feel that way preemptively about saying black kid. I feel like you don't say black kid, you say whatever. But there is no whatever yet. The the term hasn't been decided on yet by the horrible, oppressive, progressive people that ruin everyone's lives while they try to save the world. All right, anyway, that's a side rant. If I was a black kid reading this story and I just imagine these two girls as two little black girls and I'm reading about them talking about braiding their hair, it's way different. It's not just these loose European braids. These are some serious braids, you know, some like really intricate hold your hair in place braids. And that just kind of like 
confirmed for sure that I'm just going to leave out all this braid stuff because I don't know what I'm talking about anyway and it really becomes confusing based on how you're conceptualizing these girls. If you're thinking of a black girl's braids versus a white girl's braids, it's a different plot point. It's a different thing, <laughs> you know? And it's not that important anyway. So to wrap up, because it's also starting to rain on me a little bit, is uh, I had no ideas. I went to my notes, and uh, like I said, it's nothing special, nothing fancy. Just the idea about the hair braids, which I decided not to use. The idea of going to find the shore, which I did use. And then uh, I'm still writing, so we'll see how much of this other stuff I use. But just stuff about like asking the one kid about the crash, theorizing about why they haven't been found yet, and then some creepy overly existential stuff about how lucky they are to be alive that I'll probably save for later. Nothing amazing, nothing uh, mind-blowing, but way better than what I had before, which was nothing, you know? <laughs> Once I finish this chapter, who knows? Maybe something else will naturally arise from the stuff that I write that will seem like the logical thing to do next. Maybe it won't. And if not, then back to the notes. And then if I get to a point where my notes have nothing left and I just don't know what to do, I'll uh, report in, I guess, about what I do about that level of writer's block. But I have a feeling if that happens, then probably what's important is just to uh, move on to the next phase. Like maybe it's just time to really get this story into gear and start ramping up the idea of the younger girl going crazy because I've done all that I can do without that. All right, Whew. there's a fucking long-ass episode, but I finally fucking said this. I mean, honestly, this stupid thing, just this dumb example about these notes for this story, I've been meaning to bring up for, like, episodes now, and I just keep not bringing it up. Man, this is nuts, like, Japan, man, holy shit. Like, so I was saying how the mountains just keep going and going and going in this neighborhood, but that's to uh, the west. To the north, like, I thought... It was just mountains. It feels like, well, there's the edge of the neighborhood because there's all the mountains. But now that I'm looking, now that I've got like, at a higher vantage point and I can see around one of the mountains, and yeah, it just goes on and on forever. Like the Tokyo thing, the Tokyo sprawl, it's fucking nuts. Like I'm pretty sure I read, it's some crazy number. It's like 70% of Japan lives in the Tokyo area or something. And it's really weird in other places. Like there's all these little villages where everyone there is over 55 and there's even some and by some i mean if i remember the numbers right it's like over a hundred i think where every single person there is over 75 years old and like i would love that to me that would be a great movie or something like a weird little drama about one of these towns where everybody left all the young people left and everyone who lives there is old like every person there's no one young there. That's so fucking weird. But it makes sense that everyone's here in Tokyo when you just see, like, here I am, I'm at the very edge, like, the train doesn't even go any further. But this fucking city sure does. It just goes on and on forever. I think there is a train line that goes out there. But fuck, man. Like, I can't see the end of it. It just recedes into the distance, and it's just more Tokyo. It's still a lot of woods and a lot of mountains and cool shit. I love how integrated, that's my favorite thing I think about Japan, is this island thing that I love mountains. Mountains are just, I love them. And I love this, this island feel of the indoors and the outdoors just connecting. It feels like you're in summer camp all the time, like, and there's all these malls or washrooms and public areas, just things that don't have doors. They're just open which is awesome because you can't do that in Canada and <laughs> it just feels good and everything's a little bit weathered and there's like kind of insects and stuff but it's just like you're a little closer to nature it's a good feeling all right I'm going to finish hiking up this mountain thanks again for listening uh let's play the knower the knower by youth lagoon a fucking super rad song and uh the name of my story about the two little girls on the island I'll talk to you next time see you later Not what they 
Such thing. 